worshiping and feeling the presence of the Lord, I thought of that familiar verse in James and also quoted in Peter, by Peter, where he says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. And he begins it by saying, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And, and I remember it must have been 14 years ago when I first did a study on all the seemingly arbitrary things that the Lord asked people to do simply to contrive ways for them to participate in their own miracle. And he created mud by spitting on the ground and then he dirtied a man's eyes just so the man could become obedient and active in that obedience as he washed the mud from the eyes. He asked people to go show themselves to the priests when there was nothing yet to show, just so he would create an active obedience that the Lord could bless with the miracle they sought. And really time and again, you go back into the Old Testament and you see Naaman the Syrian coming to Elisha and Elisha asks him, to dip seven times in a dirty water, in a dirty river. And we know that dirty river did not heal Naaman the Syrian. But we know that faith did heal him. And his faith expressed itself as obedience that day. And you just wonder if he had dipped five times or maybe six, if he would have come short in fact, we know for certain he would have come short of that available grace that God had. And I, I feel like time and again I've encountered this incredibly oversimplified view of faith in Christians who their words almost sound like they're giving God more glory. But hidden in that praise of his glory is this exemption of our part of our participation in the process it's like oh, i just know god can do it you know well of course that doesn't even warrant saying the question is are you someone who can humble yourself to receive that grace and you can see a lot of irresponsibility in the church in families, in people's personal lives, a lot of irresponsibility that hides behind this faith that God can do it. You know? And yet when God was here, when he walked our dusty streets and lived inside our mortal flesh, he invented ways for us to participate in what he could do. And when people obeyed in that manner, they didn't share his glory with him like the Reformed theologians would suggest. They didn't pretend that part of the miracle was their doing and the other part was God's. 
they recognized that he had a potential grace available to them and they were willing to put themselves in the position where they might expect to receive that miracle. And I think that if we would look at every challenge in our life, every difficulty, every setback, every need, every spiritual step forward in terms of God, there is a grace. There is an ambient grace, potential in the space all around me. And I need to do something that puts me in the place where that grace is flowing. And if I'll do that, you are faithful. You are just. You are abounding in mercy. You are compassionate. You are looking on me, desiring to heal me. You've already articulated your heart when you said that you had plans for me that were all good. So something needs to change in my posture. Something needs to adjust in my position. And I'm going to get this potential grace that is there for me. And if we had that mindset, then we would never be so quick to blame God for things that didn't happen that we thought should happen. If we knew they were in his word, if we knew they were promised, then we would say, Lord, something's got to change in my position. Something's got to adjust in the way I think. I think of, of that awful man, Haman, in the days of Esther, who thought that he was going to be blessed. Do you remember? And so the king said to him, this is what I want you to do to prepare this great blessing for somebody that I want to reward. And I want you to parade him through the street. Well, he asked him to be inventive, you know, come up with some ideas of what should be done to the man I want to honor. And he thought only of himself and he described this great parade and a white horse and the man would sit upon it and the people would shout, so shall it be done to the man the king delights to honor. And Haman just pictured himself on that horse and lo and behold, that wretched king who was like the Adolf Hitler of his day must have had a sense of humor because he made Haman put Mordecai on that horse, his arch enemy, and parade him through the town saying those things. And in a sense, we need to ask ourselves, what is the position? What is the state of mind? What is the attitude of heart? What is the spiritual posture of the man whom the Lord delights to honor? What does that guy look like? What does that gal look like? Because if you can figure that out through the word of his grace, you are going to move from the camp of the frustrated into the camp of the fulfilled. When the Syrophoenician woman came after Jesus, there was someone in her life who she loved and she could not help. And she persisted after him and she had an idea of the kind of person that was going to get the kind of miracle that she needed. And she imagined that that kind of person was a person of persistence. To her credit, that was a part of what God was looking for. 
But she thought that was all it was. So she just kept after him, mile after mile, village after village. Lord, Lord, my daughter, my daughter needs help. Lord, Lord, I implore you, my daughter, my daughter needs help. Lord, Lord, please help me, my daughter needs help. Lord, Lord, she must have heard him say, pray and never give up one time. <laughs> and they got so sick and tired of it that he finally, after the disciples are getting like their skin is crawling, he says, you know, it is not good to take the children's bread, these children are mine, and throw it to dogs like you. I'm paraphrasing. Now that was a rejection. But in that rejection, she faced an opportunity. And her opportunity was this. Do I blame the giver or do I change to become one eligible to receive the gift? And in that moment, she made a decision. She, the most powerful word she'd ever spoken was, Yes. And that's the most powerful thing you can ever say to God when he speaks to you. Yes. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. The Lord did not change his mind. I've taught on this before in another context. But the Lord did not change his mind. I am Yahweh and I change not. But she changed her camp. She moved from the camp of the Gentiles into the camp of those who persevere with God. Isn't that what Israel means? She moved. She changed her position through her persistence and through her response. She didn't immediately, she wasn't poised to know that he was unjust. She wasn't braced to hear that he was unkind and maybe racist or something like that. She was desperate, and she wasn't going to leave until she moved from the camp of the frustrated into the camp of the fulfilled. Everything God tells you to do that humbles you is him graciously showing you how to get from the camp of the frustrated into the camp of the fulfilled. When he tells you to praise his name, he's trying to get you from this attitude and this posture that is stiff and arrogant and full of yourself and faithless and hopeless. And he's trying to get you into a place where he can reward you, where he can give you what you need. When he tells you to humble yourself, to give testimony, he's not, he's not just wanting to humiliate you. That's not an object of, its, of itself. God takes no glory. He takes no pleasure in people just groveling. He always tells you why you need to humble yourself. And it's always so that he can give you something you want. He says, humble yourself that you may be exalted. That you may be lifted up. And so, when we come into this place tonight, that's some of the adjustment that we want to make. We need to look at people in our lives who have the results that we don't have. And we need to imitate their faith. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their actions, their conduct, and imitate 
their faith. He says, think about people who took you further in God. Contemplate what their behavior looked like and what their behavior was. And if you want that behavior in your life, if you want that conduct in your life, mirror their faith in your life. Learn to obey. Learn to believe. Learn to respond. Learn to change the way they did. And you're going to start to have different results. You see, the devil wants everybody in this room to think that you're the only one who can't get what God has for you. You know, there's something about a rainy day. Barometric pressure low. And it's like, Faith is just ebbing and people are kind of dragging and they think, wow, I wonder if God's telling me that it's over. No, it's raining. <laughs> the devil's doing the same thing to everybody. But you've got to come in with an awareness that says, Lord, you said that you dwell in the praises of your people. I am going to praise your name tonight until I shake off these garments of sorrow and I put on a garment of praise. I'm going to exalt you, Lord, until I feel joy rise again in my heart, a spirit of gladness and rejoicing for the garment of heaviness and mourning. Lord, Lord, you said that you give grace to the humble. I'm feeling like I'm running low on energy. I'm feeling like I'm running low on capacity. I feel like I'm trying but coming short. I am going to be inventive today as I search out ways to humble this rotten flesh so that I can put myself under the waterfall of your grace. Lord, you said though that you love those who love you. And those who seek you diligently will find you. I need more love in my life. And so I'm going to seek you to know how to love more in my life. What does the Bible tell us? Paul tells the Galatians that the love of God is dribbled out by the Holy Spirit. Is that right? The love of God is spritzed. By the Holy Spirit. Right? That may have, be how it goes in the Methodist church with the baptized by sprinkling. I don't know. But is that what it says? The love of God is what? Sprinkled by the Holy Spirit. Huh? You know, I was coming down the hill tonight. I've been praying and preparing up here. And I was coming down the hill. And the whole landscape down by Jonathan's house was different. There had been a flash flood. The low water crossing was high water crossing and there was a little bit of trepidation before I put my van into that and crossed. Well, what had happened? What had happened? Well, that's called a shed abroad moment. <laughs> Amen. This powerful deluge had occurred and the ground was so saturated that the slopes of the earth caused a watershed moment. God doesn't want to give you an eyedropper of his grace. He doesn't want to spritz your life with his love. He wants a watershed moment for you. 
Do you understand that? And his watershed is not one of these 112 pitches that you see in Texas. His watershed, it comes fast, and it comes like a waterfall. Amen. Shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Are those the words you would have picked? He, he, visions, he envisions love as this substance that is just gushing towards you. Amen. And as you cross those waters, they're a little scary. But they've got power. Power to take you in places you could never take yourself. Power to cleanse you in ways you could never clean yourself. Power to fill you. To quench the thirsting of your soul. Thank you, Jesus. But Lord, if I want that watershed, where does the water flow? It flows to the lowest places. High up on the hill, I could have stood there and said, well, I, there's a lot of rain, but I've prayed and I just don't have that flow of God's Spirit in my life that I want. And the Lord says, hey you, why don't you get a little lower? Why don't you go down to the bottom of the hill to a humble place in the bottom of the creek and sit there a while and then tell me how there's no water coming your way? I want you to ask with me, God, what can I do to change my attitude, to change my prayer, to change my posture, to change my spiritual orientation in order to be eligible to receive what you're pouring out today, tonight. Thank you, Jesus. And throughout my life, not just tonight, but throughout my life, have you ever been around people who seemed like they were getting blessed at every turn and you were right there with them and you didn't get any of it? You know why? Because when he said something like, it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to dogs, you didn't hear an invitation to be something other than a dog. You just heard an insult. If all your hopes and faith and belief is invested in flesh, when God whacks flesh with a rebuke, you're like, oh, I'm so hopeless. But if there's another possibility that you could be a new man a new woman, a child of God, then when he hits a blow to that flesh, you say, yes, Jesus, let me die to it. Let me slough it away. Let me be changed and new. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And he says, woman. And he elevates her above all the children. Because the children were the camp of Israel, right? And what does he say to her? Woman, great is thy faith. I have not found such great faith where? Too bad she didn't go home with her bottom lip out telling all the people in Tyre and Sidon, yeah, I went over and asked that Jews performing miracles. The guy was racist. He said that anybody from our country is a dog. See how, what a self-pitiful tale she could have told? Let's not tell any self-pitiful tales at the end of this meeting, okay? Let's go ahead and change. Let's go ahead and let the Word of God speak something to us that makes our hearts say, Yes, Lord, I can do that. Amen. And let's try Him. What does He say in, in, is it Malachi or Amos? Try me in this, says the Lord. Malachi, test me. Test me. 
Bring in the whole sacrifice and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing such as you cannot contain. You see, your view of God says if God's got a blessing, he may as well get on and give it. But God does have a blessing. But he only pours it out to those who are willing to engage with him, walking by faith, faithful obedience, changing their position, changing their posture, their attitude, their prayer, their praise, everything about themselves. He says, test me. I don't know if there's another challenge like that in all the Bible. But have you ever tested God in that challenge? Have you ever taken him up on that? Have you ever said, okay, God, challenge on. I am going to make a complete sacrifice. I am going to make a total sacrifice of my pride, of my ambitions, of my desires. The Lord challenges you to test him. As if he were trying to say to people, I'm not the problem, you are. I'm not the holdup, you are. And if you'll just change your attitude, and if you'll just make a complete sacrifice, God is faithful and he will come through every time. When he taught them to pray, he said, pray and never give up. As if many of our answers are postponed just because we quit too soon. God's got something for us. Do you believe that you could change your posture, your attitude, and come into a place of fulfillment and leave a place of frustration? The windows of heaven are open and fire is falling tonight. Amen. You just picture God up there in eternity with this flood with this enormous reservoir held back by a gate with obedience, the pin locking it shut. And he's like, if, if there'll just be somebody who will make a complete sacrifice, amen, that pin will come loose and those gates will open and a flash flood of love and mercy and grace and power will be poured out. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name, God. Hallelujah. I want to read you a song, the words of a song. We don't have to sing this, but I want to read the words. You always see, only see what you want to see. Always walking in your own reality. Are you awake? Or are you living inside a dream? Making movies in the back of your mind, frame by frame and line by line. You're changing and rearranging it all the time. But it always ends the same and you don't know why. If you're looking for love, you're going to find it. If you're looking for faith, you're going to find it. If you're looking for hope, you're going to find it you're going to finally find what you're looking for. If you're looking for fear, you're going to find it. And if you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. You're going to find it if you're looking for love, you'll finally find what you're looking for. 
Two people could be walking in the same shoes. At the same time, hear the same news. One is laughing and the other one's crying. One is living and the other one's dying. So tell me now, which one is you? Because in the end, it's up to you. Because the fact is, there's only one truth. And the only difference is your point of view. And when you finally find it, there'll be no denying that you were holding it all the time. Tomorrow's too late. You just can't wait to change your mind. If you're looking for love, you're going to find it. If you're looking for faith, you're going to find it. If you're looking for hope, you're going to find it. If you're looking for fear, you're going to find it. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. If you're looking for love, you're going to finally find what you're looking for. James tells us that there's a certain kind of person that never gets anything from God. What is that person? It's the person who's looking for fault and love at the same time. And he can't make up his mind. And what he ends up finding is emptiness and disappointment. But Jesus tells us there's another kind of person that sees God. And who is that? He describes a condition of the heart that shows people God. The pure in heart. Meaning those who only have one purpose. Only have one single-hearted, single-minded focus. If you're looking for an answer from God and you're doing it with a pure heart, you're going to find it. Thank you, Jesus. And if he says something to you that sounds like rejection, stop before you get offended and find out if it's an opportunity to be different. Find out if you could change through your response and move from the camp of the frustrated into the camp of the fulfilled. God, I want to find your will for my life. I want to find your grace for my life. I want to find your joy that is my strength. I want to find love that is shed abroad. Help me to put myself in the place. Help me to become that man that can find it. Amen. You see, the Lord doesn't give you a condition and say, you got to be perfect and I'll give you grace. He just says, you got to be broken and I'll give you grace. He doesn't say, you got to be successful for three years and I'll be close to you. He says you got to be broken, humble, contrite, and I'll be near you. He doesn't say you got to be eloquent and you'll know my presence. He says you got to seek me with all your heart and you'll find me. He doesn't say you got to give the perfect gift. He says when the heart is willing, the gift is acceptable. He asks for everything. He doesn't tell you that you got to bring 10,000 rivers of olive oil. And he doesn't tell you to give your firstborn son as the prophet questions. He shows you what he requires. He says, if you want the floodgates of heaven to open, take your sacrifice. Whether it be thousands of acres of wheat or whether it be millions of dollars, or whether it may just be your pride, or maybe it's just two minus. Take whatever you have and give it all to God with all your might and see if he does not answer. You see, if God is true and we're the liars, 
then we can assess our sacrifice on the results. If we think we make a complete sacrifice and nothing happens, recalculating, modify estimation of sacrifice. That was partial. Now let's do it again with more. And if nothing happens, recalculating, modify estimation of sacrifice and do again with more. Until you've put everything on the altar. I may be talking about prayer. I may be talking about humility. I may be talking about a testimony. I may be talking about worshiping and singing and shouting for joy to the Lord. Whatever he puts on your heart to give, give it like you're giving it to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Give it like he's the only one who's worthy to receive the honor and the glory, the power and the strength. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And give it like you're sure that if you give what's needed, he's going to respond. That the only unsure part in the equation is me, not him. He is faithful. Amen. He says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. He doesn't say you might receive, you might find, the door might crack. He says will. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You say, but I asked and he didn't give it. And I say, he has a different definition of ask. Would you like to learn it? Let's conclude with that image of that great big floodgate. And imagine that your heavenly father has this bounty, this reservoir of blessing. Amen. And that you might be someone to receive it. If you could just pull the pin on those gates through a complete sacrifice. Amen. What would change? 